This is a Baby Brunch podcast. What would your advice be to the mom that wants to create this balance on a daily basis? It doesn't exist. It's impossible. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. The range of Epimax Baby and Junior gentle all-purpose emollient moisturizers is an all-day, everyday favorite for babies and children. Give your child a good start to every day by nourishing and protecting their skin with Epimax. On a Tuesday while my husband was traveling, uh, the girls and I, we had a wonderful morning. We were running slightly behind schedule, uh, but we managed to get into the con time. So at my youngest school, um, I spent a little bit longer to say goodbye. With a result, I was late for school with my eldest. Handing her over to teacher was, was really hard because as we arrived at school late, the grade R's, they, or grade ones, they were already doing sums. And, and I needed to send her into a class that was already busy because I missed school and the bell by three minutes and it was devastating for me it was really hard sending my kid into a class filled with other children and having to walk away so subsequently I had a really terrible day a terrible morning and I felt really disappointed in myself for putting her in that situation in the first place now it might seem like I'm overreacting right but this is an actual worry for me I get it right most of the time But being late for school for me feels like I have disappointed her, like I am, it makes me feel insecure, like I'm leaving her there to fight for herself. This is also the same baby that I was really extremely careful around. My first kid, you know, no one was allowed to touch her or hold her. In a study at the University Park, researchers used eye-tracking technology to measure how long babies spent looking at happy, neutral, and angry faces. They found that babies with anxious moms had a harder time looking away from an angry face, which they could view as a threat, than babies whose moms were not anxious. We worry about our children constantly. We worry about parenting techniques, whether we are doing it right, whether our kids are going to be completely normal or completely screwed up. Yeah. I, I have an underlying fear of being a bad mom. So I'm trying to be a great one the whole time. And it is frankly really exhausting and it's inconsistent. Helping us to understand the anxiety around parenting is Leanne Lurie, clinical psychologist from Johannesburg, who's helping us focus on concepts of anxiety and has worked with parent and baby branch before to help us understand sadness and depression. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. What's the difference about between uh, worrying about our children and suffering from anxiety? So look, I think there are times that the two are going to go hand in hand. If you are predisposed to anxiety, I think having a child is the most beautiful recipe for that anxiety to come out floridly. 
because you put pressure on yourself to be perfect. You put pressure on yourself for things to be in control, for nothing to go wrong. And then for other people, it's sort of general like day-to-day worries. You know, are they fed enough? Are they, are they warm enough? And those worries don't become crippling. When the anxiety becomes so crippling that you find it hard to make decisions, that you experience symptoms of panic attacks, that you feel completely paralyzed by the fear of what could happen when you have racing thoughts about what if, what if, what if, then we're looking at more of an anxiety disorder picture. But day-to-day worries as a parent then come with the territory. Mm. You know, we, we read all these things. Oh, you feel it in your stomach and your throat. You feel it in the, I don't know, where else we need to feel it. Is it like that? Is, is worry something that all parents do and anxiety something that you would feel in your body? Is it really like that? I think it's different from person to person. I think there are as many people in the world as there are manifestations of anxiety and worry. Some people will like shut down emotionally and go into an automatic robotic mode. For other people, you know, they feel like their heart is beating fast, their stomach is churning, they're sweating, they feel cold. It's almost like a fight or flight response. And other people have put strategies or safety nets in place that help them to navigate those anxiety-provoking situations. But obviously that's taken time and it's taken awareness and self-compassion. Does an anxious mom make an anxious baby or child? You know, I think, I think what you have to consider is that the mom, yes, she's the primary attachment figure, but she's not the only attachment figure in that child's life. And so anxiety can be a combination of both nature and nurture. And we have to take into account the, the other people that play a significant role, the other events that happen in a child's life that may not be within the mother's control. You know, you, like you talk about you send your child to school you let go of them in that moment and you have no control over what's going to happen in the playground or in the classroom. And so being a parent is hard. Why, why, why are we so worried? What are we worried about? I remember, first baby. The baby was not even born yet and I was already thinking about the pool. It became an obsession around the pool. Even here on Baby Brunch, we did content around what happens if baby had to, God forbid, fall into the water? Like it was just a constant fear around water and children. Even now, thinking about it, I want to hold my breath. Mm. What? What? It, why do we become worried? I mean, where where does it sit? Where does it develop? Because I don't ever remember having having this emotion before. Not even about exams as a kid, you know. Look, if, if I reflect on like my own experience of becoming a parent, I mean, I remember holding this little boy and realizing kind of the weight is the wrong word. I suppose the enormity of the responsibility that came with keeping this young child alive, realizing that I was responsible for making sure he grew and that he was nurtured and, and that he was okay. And I think that that can also come with significant degree of anxiety. I think that there are far too many Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter posts about the perfect mother, about how you should react in a stressful situation, about what your triggers are. 
And I think that also contributes because you'll have a situation with your child and then you'll log onto social media and you'll see that you go, oh my word, I've done it all wrong. They're going to be in therapy for the rest of their lives. The other thing as well is that I think the expectations on mothers and caregivers, I think has increased. And I think the level of support structures, support systems has also fallen away. And so a mother may very often feel alone as if she's carrying both the physical, the emotional and the mental load all on her own. What if it's true? What if she is carrying all of that? How, how, do, how does one make sense of it in your head when it feels like it's just too much? What if you are a single parent and you're both juggling everything domestically? Um, I love doing maintenance around the house, like literally, like physical labor. I love drilling. And, and so I know how irritated it makes me, for instance, when my husband, my partner, doesn't do what I ask him. So I have taught myself to just do it myself, for I'm instance. I'm going to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, I have had enough of waiting on you. But then when it comes to doing hair and preparing stuff for the kids, he loves doing it. So I, I'm like, what is... There's something different about the situation, right? But what if you are overwhelmed with with all these things? You have to you have to juggle the domestic. You have to juggle the domestic um, responsibilities. You have to juggle um, being a mom, being the nurturer. You know, we how do we navigate and literally eat the elephant bit by bit? So I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is you need a mom tribe. You need other people. Doesn't matter whether they are. Married, in a partnership, divorced, you know, widowed, it doesn't matter. But you need other moms because when you start to open up those courageous and crucial conversations, you realize actually you're not alone in the struggle and that the stuff that you worry about is not necessarily unique to you. Mm. And that then also can make you feel less mad, bad, or sad. <laughs> At the same time, and this is in an ideal world where you can make time for self-care in those tiny little pockets, even if it's something as small as stopping at the petrol station on the way home, getting yourself a hot chocolate and taking five minutes to drink it before you drive home and you enter into that space with your kids. Because when the kids are around, it doesn't matter how stressed or tired you are. They want you all the same. Mm. And it's how to ground yourself so that you are present. What are the warning signs that we are overreacting? You know, that it's not that bad. Context specific. Calm down. You know, uh, what's the what's the one trigger? Um, relax. You should relax, you know. If if you're in a situation and other people are noticing that you're being a little bit more dramatic than what they think you are, is that something do you have to do something about it? So I think I think again, I think that an explosion or an overreaction doesn't always come from what's happening in the moment. It's cumulative. And I think that the people around you often don't know, you know, what the base of that ice cream was. They're only seeing the cherry on top. 
So I think you have to be your own judge and say, right, was my reaction or the strength of my reaction proportionate to what was happening in the situation? And yes, of course, other people's judgments don't help because you are really judging yourself harshly. But at the end of the day, you are the one that's taking your child home. You are the one that's trying to put boundaries in place to keep them safe. And you're human. And the parents that are the first to tell you, calm down, relax, mm. are the ones that are probably equally having the same reactions at home. Because you cannot be a parent without having moments of losing it. I was on a flight yesterday. I always say this because I, I have to acknowledge the favor in my life. We are lucky enough to live in two cities, so we travel often with the girls. And as I'm sitting on the flight, there's a father in front of me holding a little boy, cute little thing, and his wife. And someone is sitting in the woman's, in their seat. And the woman said, oh, okay, sorry about that. And he kept saying to the lady in the seat, it's okay, you're okay, get up, you're okay. And even I got irritated. And I thought to myself, Ilana, why are you getting so irritated? First of all, you're not in the situation. He's not saying anything to hurt her, you know. But how he said it made me feel like my skin's peeling off. It was patronizing. It is, right? Mm. But how can we as moms help ourselves that if there's something that is a trigger for you, that is making you feel like your skin is peeling, that in that moment, even if it's a practical example, so on a very practical level without going completely in depth, it's about giving yourself permission to pause, to pause, to feel what you feel, to rant in your head, and then consciously decide what you want to do with the emotion, because can you play the movie forward? If I explode, what's the impact on my child? What's the impact on my partner? How am I going to feel afterwards? And if I wait till I'm in a state where the distress is more tolerable, is my response going to be different? But that takes practice and it takes patience and a lot of introspection. The other way of looking at it is the thinking is that sometimes those triggers are not related to what's happening in the moment but related to a situation in which that same kind of emotion was evoked. And of course, we're not always aware of that. But I think in those moments, we also have to show ourselves self-compassion and decide on a course of action that is going to have long-term benefit for us. How are we going to feel afterwards? I did the right thing. With grace and humility. I said nothing, mm. <laughs> but I, but I, I hear what you're saying on a serious note. I, poof, I can relate so much. I've never told anyone this and now for my own sins, I'm saying it here on a podcast. I have a coach and I really enjoy therapy. I enjoy sitting with holy people to discuss our brains, our future, who we are as humans. I enjoy um, psychologists' opinions about questions that I have, you know, when we spar and talk about 
how our brain works and where things sometimes goes right. It's beautiful how the human's made, right? So I'm really enjoying the practice of introspection, how one can practice to get to know even your body or how to react to questions because you want to understand what is happening for yourself in that moment. If you could encourage someone to get to know themselves, what's the first step? I mean, you're holding small baby, you want to get to understand your emotions, and now you have to learn to understand other people too because you're a parent now. Mm. How can we help mom that thinks she's anxious to start understanding self and to start working on self, which which mm. is hard work in itself? Mm. Look, the first thing is, like I said, why something is happening or why we are feeling something is not as important as how are we going to tackle it. Am I able to look at myself with a level of compassion and say, right, this is all new to me. This beautiful little creature didn't come with a manual or a recipe book about do this and this and this. And no antenatal classes prepare you for real life. Mm -hmm. Am I able to surround myself with people that are going to be honest and simultaneously kind to me? you know, about what's actually happening with me. Do I need to seek the help of somebody external, like a coach or a therapist, if that's financially viable? And am I able to take small moments where I can hold space for myself so that I am much more present for the space that I hold for my child or my children? Obviously, all of this is like in an ideal world. Mm. But, you know, even something as simple as get a little notebook, Love that. Jot it it down. Even if it's just a stream of consciousness and word after word. Make that time for yourself about what came up, what you noticed in yourself. You know, be patient. The sleep deprivation in the beginning is brutal. So how are you then meant to be a rational, calm individual holding the responsibility of this little life? It takes time and endurance. How can we feel enough? Can we ever quantify enough? And what's enough? Like Your definition of enough and my definition of enough are going to be vastly different and also very much based on stuff that may have happened in our childhood in terms of did we measure up to expectations? Were we praised and rewarded only when things were positive? were our small efforts in terms of trying actually noticed. And so as a parent, I think very often we internalize those standards. And again, we're exposed to posts all the time about the perfect parent and the perfect way to respond and how you're going to raise these perfect robotic little beings. Hmm. And so it's about, it's about almost, I think about like the serenity prayer. It's that in this moment, grant me that strength to also like realize I am I'm enough right now I am doing my best with the resources that I have I may be anxious, I may be stressed I may be overwhelmed can I just be present in that moment And even if the moment is five minutes of sitting and doing a puzzle or five minutes of reading a story, you can return to worrying about whether you are sufficient or enough afterwards 
the internet is a can be a very terrible place. And I say that because the minute you Google, I'll tell you what I found. There's some there's, there's a story that I read online that talks about the minute the minute you say bad words that you're our, at a burnout. You know, is that true? So is it then by association saying you're not allowed to actually have negative thoughts or say bad words? Can you not be human in the moment? Mm. You know, I think it depends on the frequency to which things are happening. Mm. What, what is burnout? So I think there's a very fine line between burnout and depression. Very, very fine line. And so I think it's when like, your mood is low, your anxiety may be high, you feel hopeless, you may feel like, what's the point of this? Or just, I can't. Mm. I actually can't. I can't imagine waking up and taking care of the kids. I can't imagine actually pulling myself together and going to work. Right. When that state starts to persist, we say sort of roughly beyond a two-week kind of period, then we start to look at whether it's actually depression. Okay. Can one say I used to be depressed, or do you? Is it like is it like alcoholism? Do you do you stay a depressed person? I don't necessarily think so. I think that it's important to also recognise that you may have a predisposition towards depression because of circumstances, because of genetics, because of the kind of life that you lead. And to be sensitive around that and to try to put as many safety nets as possible in place so that when you fall, you're cushioned, you're not bruised. Hmm. In in our previous podcast that we did with you, uh, postnatal, perinatal and, and depression, um, and parenting, uh, please go and have a look at it. It's it's fascinatingly supportive and very, very interesting. But we talked about having having almost, and I gave someone the advice the other day, having, having support partners and people around you that if they see that you haven't bathed for two days, that there's someone that kind of goes, okay, you know, time to get to our action plan. Do we do that as action moms or as anxious moms? Hey, I just changed anxious to action. Ha-ha. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, do we do that as parents that worry or do we do that as people who are more, more likely to become sad or depressed? Do you, do you form a buddy system in, in, your, in your village of mums? So I think that if you've got the insight into the fact that you are predisposed to that anxiety and depression, maybe you will put that in place or maybe you will also do it after the fact when you come to the realisation. The other side of it though is you may not put it in place because you don't want other people to actually know that you are struggling. Mm. You want to maintain that, you know, pleasant vol, like everything's perfect facade, whereas underneath you're actually cracking. And sometimes it also takes somebody else noticing that in you to break down those walls and to allow that person in. A thought just came up for me and it makes me think of the mom that um, that we've all met that doesn't really socialize and in your mind you think she might be upset or angry and maybe she's just shy. That happened recently and, you know, people talk. Mm. And I corrected a mom who tried to spread a story that someone else was, I was like, maybe she's just shy. You know, you should reach out. And when they did, it worked, <laughs> you know. So sometimes we just need each other, right? We really do. For reality testing. Yeah. Mm. 
I don't I don't believe in balance necessarily, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm juggling a lot. Um, and so what would your advice be to the mom that wants to create this balance on a daily basis? It doesn't exist. It's impossible. There are days that you are capable of working at 90% and only giving 10% to your children. And there are days where the, you know, the opposite is true. You have the capacity to be with your kids and only work 10%. And there are days where actually you feel like you cannot do any of it and you wish you could check out. Hmm. It's all okay. It's all okay. We are not robots. We feel, we think, we internalize, we are triggered. Sometimes we don't even know why we are triggered. I think the most important thing as parents and caregivers is can we have moments that are meaningful, where we are present, we are looking at our kids, we turned our devices off, we're turning away from them and actually turn towards our kids and actually show them that they are important and they matter. What advice do you have for this juggle of worrying and the feeling of sometimes giving up or even sometimes just going, oh, what the heck? Have a sense of humor. Not everything has to be serious or catastrophic all the time. You know, like I think about like taking my kids to school in the morning and I think very often we are often the last to walk through that gate. And the other parents that will walk in after us and then they'll go, damn, we know we're really late <laughs> because we've come in after you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like you've got, you've got to laugh at it. I think also you also have to remember you're also raising little beings to be mm-hmm. accountable and to be responsible and that they've also got their own free will. So sometimes they may not want to study for the test or they think they've got it and it's okay. So in as much as we make allowances for them to make mistakes, mm-hmm. to grow from them, to learn to do things differently, can we not show ourselves the same? Because if we don't, then we're giving our kids mixed messages. So we have to, we have to model that also within ourselves. Turning anxiety into action. Leanne, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me again. This podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores.